today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We have been mentioning, uh, well, the long-term care crisis, which is exactly what it is, uh, not just here in Ontario, but, I mean, right across the country these days. Uh, I know the federal government's talked about doing something. Uh, The Ontario government uh, has said that they're trying to change things, although we don't see a whole lot of proof that that's actually happening when you talk to some of the people on the ground in some of these facilities. But uh, this one's a head-scratcher. Uh, we found out over the weekend uh, that Chartwell, which of course is uh, one of the larger retirement residents, uh, is now paying out bonuses to higher level of its, uh, yeah the, to the, the executives of the Chartwell organization. All four of its top executives received in excess of one million dollars, and each of the four also received bigger bonuses than they did in 2019 uh, when they served in lesser roles. Now this, of course, is right in the middle of this pandemic and the number of deaths that have occurred in long-term care facilities. And the evidence that suggests that the privately run facilities seem to have a higher incidence of COVID-19 and a higher incidence of death, which begs the question, what are they doing? Are they rewarding people for, for their quote-unquote success in dealing with this? I want to uh, bring Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos into the uh, conversation. Uh, she, of course, is co-founder of Doctors for Justice in Long-Term Care and also a professor at Ontario Tech University. Uh, doctor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you very much. I'm a little surprised, though, when I saw the story over the weekend. Uh, about, basically, let's face it, I mean, when, when we hear about people getting bonuses, it's usually, hey, for a job well done. Is Was this a job well done? <laughs> you just put your hands up in the air, right? I, I don't yeah. understand how, you know, they're saying, you know, they gave themselves perfect scores for things like employee engagement, customer satisfaction, and their reputation with the public. Um, I'm pretty sure the public does not have a favorable perception of them, so I'm not quite sure how they are evaluating themselves. Um, But frankly, it's that corporate scorecard which allowed them to provide the bonuses for their executives. I mean, as you were saying, I I mean, the CEO makes, you know, almost $2 million uh, as of last year and had an over $323,000 bonus, <laughs> more than double of his pay from last year. I, I just, it's, it's baffling to me how they came to this conclusion. Well, and I understand. I know that, you know, some people are going to try to justify this and say, look, it's a private company. What they do with their money uh, is their business. But but there's an overriding concern here. And, of course, that's the public trust, one. And second of all, uh, the the health of the public. I mean, I, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush here. And, and you've never attempted to do that either, Vivian. But the reality here is that numbers don't lie here. And the numbers show yeah. that, first of all, we have a crisis. And, B, a, a lot of the private only homes are the ones that seem to have the most incidents of this and Chartwell's right at the top of that list. Well, we know we have CBC marketplace data that showed that, you know, Chartwell had death rates well above the provincial average. So they had 4.67 uh, deaths per hundred beds on the Ontario average was about 3.75. And then, you know, when you go to the municipal homes, their average was 1.35. So we have, you know, Chartwell specific data, but then we also have more recent data on the for-profit sector as a whole from the Toronto star up until uh, February, I believe, that showed that they had vastly higher rates. So 7.3 COVID-19 deaths for every 100 beds for the for-profit sector down to 1.5 for the municipal sector, which kind of also parallels that uh, CBC marketplace data. And furthermore, I mean, Chartwell was also hit with a, a 200 million class action lawsuit recently. So not for nothing here. There's reasons why the public are, are very distrustful. And um, I think what well, most people, if they didn't read the, the article, would be surprised to know is that not only did they, you know, give themselves these massive bonuses, um, 
But there were two of the unit holders, and that's their version of shareholders because it's a trust. Mm-hmm. Um, two of their unit holders who called for specific policies, one of them being for a human capital disclosure on how Chartwell manages employees and the risk to them. And another one asked for Chartwell to undertake a study of implementing a living wage for its employees, because we know many, particularly the PSWs, don't have a living wage. And Chartwell specifically asked their unit holders, a.k.a. shareholders in this sense, to vote against both. So they're not even entertaining any some sort of, you know, um, I don't know, accountability for how they're actually treating their staff, because we know anyone that has any some sort of understanding of long term care knows that the conditions of work and Pat Armstrong has said this best. The conditions of work are the conditions of care. If and this is why we know that there's a revolving door in this sector, because we treat the workers so poorly, particularly the PSWs that comprise the largest share of this workforce, yet they are actively shooting down any some sort of policies that would seek accountability on that front. It's just ludicrous. And they tried to say in their response that, well, it's because 80 percent of Charwell's employees are represented by labor unions, which, again, is not a fair claim. First of all, I don't even know if that number is accurate. You know, I'd like to see the numbers. But second of all, we know that long term care workers don't have the right to strike. So they do not have the opportunity to properly bargain higher wages compared to other employees as part of unions. So this is a fundamental fact that, you know, they, they refuse to acknowledge, though everyone in the industry knows that this is a problem. There's a couple of interesting and I think very telling statistics in this story, too, though, Vivian, that uh, caught my eye. Uh, Chartwell said they tweaked their plan last March to shift the emphasis away from uh, just cash flow. Because I mean, Let's face it, they make a ton of money, and, and that's, that's really almost irrelevant now. They get it, all the money's always going to flow because of what they charge. But they said they've added more weight to what they call employee engagement and customer satisfaction. But... <laughs> In this survey that they released, 44% of employees in yeah. residence and 58% of employees in the corporate offices, only only that number agreed yeah. that Chartwell is a great place to work. Oh, and, yeah. the, and the sad number, Vivid, that's up from last year. But less than half of the people don't like working there. They don't yeah. think it's a very good environment. Yeah. So well, with that in mind, how do these executives qualify for bonuses? The, 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 100%. How do you give yourself a perfect score for quote-unquote employee engagement customer satisfaction when you also provide the fact that the minority of your workers are even at the base level satisfied with your you know your organization as a place to work i mean give me a break and then on top of it you see some conflicting you know things where at one point they say you know charwell's business was significantly impacted by you know federal provincial and local regulatory directives which prevented the acceptance of new residents so they're trying to say you know they took a a financial hit because they couldn't accept new residents but then at the same time you are, have a perfect score, and you're allowed to give yourself massive bonuses. I mean, get out of here. Come on. Come on. Why are they not rolling this back into the into better care for the facilities and better pay for the, the workers? Uh, and, and, and by the way, I, I, I'm not going to cry crocodile tears for these guys because they couldn't take on any new residents. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is what were there, 13 inspections? Of, of the over 600 uh, long-term care facilities in the province last year, uh, these guys are getting yeah. a free pass to do whatever they of want. Of course they are. Of course they are. And, and even if they, the, the, the inspectors that do go in there tend to find very glaring evidence of, of neglect and abuse. I mean, every single inspection report, I mean, not every single one, but obviously the ones that I've encountered are not great. But yet, because there are no proper penalties and we don't revoke licenses, there's no incentive.
incentive for them to adjust their behavior. None whatsoever. And frankly, the for-profit model has a fiduciary responsibility to protect its shareholders. So they will always place that above resident care. It's how the model works. And even Vlad himself, Mr. Vlad Volodarsky, the CEO of Chartwell, um, you know, I, I criticized a, a, an interview he gave previously with a gentleman I debated on the agenda recently, where he said, you know, um, uh, he they admitted that staff wages are lower in the private sector, but he thinks that had nothing to do with quote unquote outputs. I mean, give me a break. They, they fundamentally don't understand that they're dealing with humans' lives here. This isn't, a, you know, some production assembly line. And, and you talk about people in these very cold, callous kind of, you know, business speak, which just shows you fundamentally they don't understand this sector and they don't frankly have any place in this sector. The profit model should not be allowed in long-term care, period. We see failure at every step in the game, no transparency, no transparency, no accountability. And this recent interview, this recent, you know, bonus debacle is further evidence of the lack of ethics and the lack of morality that these providers tend to operate within. One of the things they don't mention in their reporting on this, of course, that you and I have talked about, and it's actually since you and I talked a week or two ago, Vivian, it's even worse now, is, is employees walking off the job and just say, I can't do this anymore. Well, not just that. If people don't, maybe people miss this, but now they're trying to send more people from hospital, patients from hospitals, over into long-term care. So this mm-hmm. is someone's brilliant idea. Um, but, but, like, realizing that staffing in long-term care is at an all-time low. So, you know, Donna Duncan will admit that herself who represents the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, which represents a majority of for-profit, you know, at least on their board of directors. So they admit that their staffing is at all-time low. We knew pre-pandemic we had abysmal staffing ratios. So unlike hospitals, which generally have, you know, one to five, one, you know, healthcare worker for five uh, patients, it's sometimes one to 30, one to 40, one to 50 in long-term care. So now you're, you're throwing on added work onto these already burnt out, traumatized, remaining select, you know, often PSWs, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to further aggravate the attrition we already have. People are going to start walking off in droves. This is, like, I mean, it's just one stupid policy after another. I, and I, and I, know, I know we applauded the provincial initiative, and we've talked to some of the people in the community colleges about the training program uh, that essentially is going to put more people into there. But if, if, if it's not an attractive endeavor and if it's not an Absolutely. attractive place of employment, Vivian, nobody's going to want to go. Yeah, the fundamental thing that really angers me every time you come up with regulations to, you know, as a singing strategy to assist long-term care, it never addresses the conditions of work. It never. It always focuses on penalizing the employees, really, um, and having them do often more paperwork, more, more stuff that actually takes away from them actually giving care. What we never focus on is how we need more full-time permanent jobs that actually pay well and that recognize that the current staffing ratios indicative of an absent care standard, you know, which Ford said they'll give us in five years, which is a joke, the four-hour minimum, um, which, by the way, the city of Toronto implemented themselves through fundraising last year alone, so it can be done. They have the money to do it. They just won't. Um, is why we're in this problem. Not only do you have to address the, the terrible pay and the terrible training of these workers, but you have to change their working conditions in terms of the staffing ratios. Because right now it's just untenable. They cannot provide proper care. And how frustrating it is that for a worker? I hear this all the time from the workers, that they wish they could help, but the way their work is set up, the way these organizations, you know, staff these facilities, there's just never enough time. They're always working short. They're burnt out. And this is why there's a revolving door and they leave. And it's just getting worse and worse. And they're doing nothing to address these fundamental terrible working conditions in this sector 
we haven't even talked about the uh, the residents. Uh, we're just talking oh. about the staff, because, but because it starts there. And, and you, you know, you and, and and the other folks, of course, in in you know, Doctors for Justice and Long Term Care, I think have been emphasizing this uh, for the longest time right now. Uh, if you if you don't treat the staff properly, you're not going to get the level of care that the, the the residents need in situations like this. And as you say, the ratios are, are going to be all skewered right now. Uh, we still have a problem, I'm told, from some of the people that work in facilities here in this area of Vivian, of, of working more than one job. And I know they're not supposed to do that now, but yeah. I mean, hey, got to pay the bills. And, and the yeah. money they're making from Facility A is not enough to cover rent, food, etc. So they've got to moonlight, as some of them are calling it. But it's it's a it's a matter of existence here. They, this is not so they can go, you know, and, and buy another yeah. boat or another cottage or something like that. They're trying to pay oh, the I bills know. and feed the, the family. Oh, no, the CEOs of these companies are the ones buying the boats, no problem. But if they ever actually went to these homes and spent some time in there and saw how these places operate, they would be just as horrified as the residents, their families, and the workers who work in these places, and who end up invariably leaving because it is just a ridiculously under-resourced place to work that leads to failure, quite frankly. And I just don't see how anything is ever going to change unless we actually address this. And like you said, right, the one line Pat says really sums it up the best. The conditions of work become the conditions of care. So unless you address that, of course, the residents are always going to suffer. And right now with this recent push to bring more uh, hospital patients in, it's just going to get worse. They're already overburdened. They're already dealing with, you know, far too little time to provide care to the, the many residents they're, they're tasked with being responsible for. And we're just going to lose them in droves and nothing will change unless we actually deal with that. But, you know, this government is reticent to actually, I don't know, legislating the kinds of changes we need. There are various bills ahead of them that they could implement tomorrow, which would force their hand, would force this big business to do the right thing. Because, quite frankly, the municipal homes have been doing the right thing for a while. They have the more full time permanent uh, employees that are happy and there's better continuity of care. The residents get better care and then invariably they have less deaths. Exactly what we saw. I mean, this all boils down to staffing and profit-based motives that skim off the top to give to these people at the top. And it always hurts the residents and the, and the families and the workers, the people who are actually in these facilities on a day-to-day basis. It's just, it's wrong. It's just wrong. I was going to say mind-boggling, but wrong fits it, I think, a lot better. Uh, always a pleasure, Vivian. Thank you so much for the time. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we'll stay in touch, okay? Sounds good. You too. Take care. Dr. Vivian Stapatopoulos, of course, who is the co-founder of Doctors for Justice in Long-Term Care and a professor at Ontario Tech University and, of course, a strong advocate for the residents and the staff in those facilities. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.